You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chelsea. Family, good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, We really appreciate the sentiment. uh, And women, we wish wish you the best for your breakfast next week. We we had breakfast sandwiches by none other than... Y'all have fun, but, uh, you know, the sandwiches spoke for themselves. Um, Man, if you are a guest, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Will. If we've never met before, we are going to jump into this text, Luke chapter 5. So let me just invite you to bow your heads and uh, pray with me just one more time as we get ready to jump in. God, I'm asking that you would meet us in these next moments, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And I'm struck by this story because I think some of the people represented in it are actually represented in this room. At the beginning of this story, there were people just genuinely hungry to hear the word of the Lord from Jesus. And I think there's people here who just genuinely want to hear your word. They're hungry. They're here to receive from you, Lord. And so would you, as you did in that story, meet them, speak to them, feed the longings of their soul. And there are other people like Peter, while you're teaching, actually their mind is maybe on their job, the responsibilities waiting for them on Monday morning. Maybe they're kind of here out of obligation, but uh, their mind is elsewhere. Lord, Peter's mind was elsewhere, and he leaves an encounter with you, turning his back on everything he had once known and devoting the rest of his life to following you. 
So God, would you work that same miracle in our gathering this morning? People who are disinterested, distracted, maybe people who don't know you at all. Would you so work in them just like you did for Peter to be astonished at your mercy and to then leave everything and follow you? That's that's what I'm asking for. Spirit of the living God, would you open up the heavens and come down? Would you fill these words? Would you fill this room, we pray? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you weren't here with us last week, we kind of gave a bit of uh, some direction of where we're gonna be going as far as preaching is concerned. So we wanna spend a few weeks focusing our mission, on our mission, focusing on our mission. And if you weren't with us, what we spent time reflecting on was the reality that having a clear mission that we are engaged in as a church is not only essential for us to thrive, but to even survive. We are a people following a Messiah on the move who's engaged in this mission. And we looked at Jesus articulating his mission from a bit of a high level. He essentially said that he's gonna build a temple, but this temple is not made of bricks and stone. It's made of people who are devoted to the living God. And uh, these people come out from behind of the gates of hell itself, people who are uh, currently held captive under the kingdom of darkness in this world, who are rescued by King Jesus and then added to his temple we call the church. And if that was complicated, we boiled down our mission as a church to something a lot more simple than any of those kind of big categories. We boiled down our mission to this simple reality. Our mission, our calling as a church is to make more disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what we long to do. And when a church gets on track wholeheartedly with that mission, it becomes perhaps the most compelling and beautiful community of people on the face of the earth. And so we've said, God, we long that that you would get us engaged in on that mission. And so this morning, what I wanna do is move us from maybe some of these more high-level descriptions of what the mission of the church is to get a little bit lower and and for us to kind of ask this question more personally. What does it mean for us as individuals to engage in this process of discipleship? What does it mean for us personally to engage and even welcome others into this process of discipleship with Jesus. And so it sounds good, but what exactly are we getting ourselves into when we say we want to follow Jesus? Uh, What do we need to bring to the table or what do we need to be prepared for if we're going to be engaged in this mission? It reminds me of a phenomenon that happened, uh, you know, through the past year. Uh, Maybe some of you participated in this phenomenon. I'll call it the uh, pandemic puppy phenomenon. Did any of you engage in that phenomenon that was happening across our country? Apparently, uh, even dog shelters were like running out of dogs. Why? Because a lot of people had more time on our hands than usual. Maybe you got a stimulus check. And, you know, what you wanted was your childhood dream of this puppy. And all you could imagine were the joys. Uh, and I may just be speaking of my own experience here, so just bear with me for a second. But the joys and the delights of having this furry friend that's now a part of your home. But uh, I even heard on the radio them kind of giving some disclaimers like, hold on real quick, before you do this, you need to know what? What are you getting yourself into? Uh, You know, it it may look good and fun, but there's gonna be that ride home from wherever you pick up your dog with the vomiting and then the eating of it and then that (laughs) repeating itself in your car. Um, There's gonna be uh, 
your most precious time, sleep that's taken from you. You should be prepared for that through the night. Uh, there's uh, gonna be some furniture that you love to just sit on and relax on that will be destroyed. Uh, there's going to be times where you spend uh, your, your evenings and afternoons running through the neighborhood because the dog got out once again and you've got the more mature dog owners with their well-mannered dog looking at you, yelling at your dog's name in the neighborhood looking like a fool. Like before you jump into to, you know, something significant, you know, something that, that has some responsibilities with it, just, just be aware of what comes with the territory, right? And of course, that's silly for those of us who got puppies. For those of us who wanna do, of course, the much more serious, the most serious thing, Thing you can do with your life. Devote your fear, sorry. Uh, what is it that I'm getting myself into? What do I need to bring to the table to be a disciple of Jesus? And what we're looking at in Luke 5, we're actually gonna be here the next two weeks, okay? We're looking at the calling of the first disciples. So this is the foundational passage that helps us understand what it is to be engaged in this task of making more disciples. And just our overarching question that we're gonna answer is this, what do we need in order to follow Jesus? What do we need in order to follow Jesus? And just like we looked at Peter's confession last week, we're gonna look at what Peter confesses this week that's gonna help us answer that question. Does that sound good? Okay, let's jump in. Back at verse five, let's just set up the context a little bit of what's going on here before we jump in and look at this confession that Peter gives that shows us what we need in order to follow Jesus. So back in verse one, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. So that's the Sea of Galilee. That's where Peter and many of the disciples were from. And so this is the scene that's happening. There are crowds of people who have seen what Jesus is about, and, and they are flocking to him. And it's worth noting that as Jesus speaks, he wasn't offering them a philosophy or uh, some practical tips to better their life. As Jesus speaks, what the people were receiving was the very word of God. What they had standing before them was God incarnate, God in human form, delivering his word for humanity and the people couldn't get enough of it. They are pressing in around him. It reminds me of our experience at the barbecue this past week where uh, we weren't working with some basic ballpark hot dogs. We were doing some serious barbecue and some of y'all had to learn barbecue is a work of art. It takes patience. It takes time. It's not always ready right when you want it to be ready. But of course, uh, when it was ready, the announcement came, it's ready. And what did you all do? You flocked to the table. Some of you maybe rather aggressively, or at least you had to hold some of that in because of the, the hunger that you had in that that moment. You were pressing in for what was being offered. And that's what's happening in this scene. People see Jesus and they are fighting through each other to get to him so that they can hear his word. But oddly enough, the story shifts from the people who are really eager for Jesus to speak to them to some guys and one guy in particular who's actually off on the side reading what happens. And he saw, uh, so he, he's teaching and people are gathering around him, verse two, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So there they are. There's Simon, who will later be called Peter, just getting ready for the next day's work. He's getting his nets together while everybody else is focused on Jesus. And so uh, 
getting into one of their boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put him out from the land. So this most likely would have been an opportunity for Jesus's voice to carry to the masses as he taught from a boat. And so uh, he gets in the boat uh, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is a pretty funny moment. So Uh, Simon is not like trying out a new hobby, catching fish. He has most likely spent his entire life from the moment he was a a boy catching fish, being a professional fisherman. This is what he has devoted his life to. He is an expert fisherman. He just spent the whole night working really hard and didn't bring in a single catch. Jesus comes to him who, again, Peter's kind of disinterested, not really focused on what he has going on. And Peter, uh, or sorry, Jesus, who at the beginning of his life perhaps was a carpenter, at this point is a rabbi, comes to Peter, the expert fisherman, and gives him some professional advice. Like some of you guys do coding for work. I don't know what any of that means. If, if you were having some challenge entering code at your job and, and I, I just came up and was like, oh man, like it's easy. Like, have you ever just like sh- shaken your keyboard around a little bit? <laughs> like you would die a little bit inside and, and you'd be thinking to yourself, maybe respectfully like, okay, wow, I've, you know, gone to school for this, been doing this for years, but pastor, hey, why, why don't I do what you say? And you give it a little shake and it just works. It, it, it happens. It, it works. You, you would be fisherman. Hey, hey uh, Peter, just go out to the deep and let your nets down. Uh, and, and, and Peter sort of responds similarly, respectfully, but uh, master, we've been working all night and we caught nothing, but you're the man of God. You're the spiritual person. John, put the nets, just show them, put the nets on the side of the boat. And what happens is nothing short of miraculous. Fish flock to this net, so much so that the nets themselves are ripping apart. They are bringing this catch into the boat and the boat is beginning to sink because so many fish have entered into the boat. And so there Peter stands, the professional fisherman who began disinterested in Jesus, just sort of focused on his life, going about his life. He experiences not some fishing advice, uh, not, not uh, uh, you know, some better tips on how to do his job. What he experiences from Jesus is a miracle where he realizes what he's, he's standing before in the person of Jesus is not just a rabbi, not just a teacher. He's standing before God himself in the flesh. Only God could cause a miracle with the fish like that to happen. And what that leads to is Peter to make a a confession that I I wanna spend our time focusing on. Because once again, our question is, Peter's about to become a disciple of Jesus, one of the very first one. What do we need? What do we bring to the table in this process of discipleship? The answer to that question, I think, is gonna uh, be pointed out to us a little bit in what Peter confesses. And so it says this. In verse, second half of verse seven, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. In verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter begins with a word of reverence. He calls him master at the beginning with the nets. Now, after he's seen this miracle, he falls on his knees and says, Lord, a term not of respect or admiration, a term of worship towards the divine. 
and he makes this confession. What we see Peter doing and confessing, I am a sinful man, is actually not bringing anything to the table at all. What we see Peter doing as he begins following Jesus is ridding himself of things, forfeiting things, letting things go he might have once held on to. And I wanna look at three areas I think that are wrapped up in this confession when Peter says that he is a sinful man. What does Peter uh, rid himself or let go of in that moment? I think the first thing we see Peter giving up on a little bit is his own identity, uh, his own sense of self-worth or significance. So when, when Peter says this, he doesn't just say, hey, I've sinned. He says something about his identity. I am It's an identity statement. I am a sinful man. Now, identity has always been important for us as human beings. As modern people, we're so lost because we've lost a sense of anything transcendent that we can tie our lives to. So we're very lost in in terms of our identity. It's of incredible importance for modern people. And so it's important for us because our identity is what we look to to find a sense of significance with our lives, a a sense of value, a a sense of our lives mattering or being important, especially in the eyes of the people. And our problem is we, we almost always find our identity in things that are horizontal. So what's the big one in this area that we find our identity in? One of the biggest, if not the biggest, is what we do for a living. Anytime you meet somebody new, this is the way the conversation usually goes around here. Hi, what's your name? What do you do for a living? Because that's probably the most important thing for me to understand who you are and how you answer that question maybe says a little bit of where you find your identity. You know, if you've, you know, do something that's kind of well thought of around here, you maybe, uh, you know, say that with, with a little bit of confidence. Uh, but One way you could find out if you find your identity and what you do for a living would be if you were to do something like, let's just say, bag groceries or mow the lawn, would you have a bit of trepidation in sharing what you do for a living? Would you be a little bit uncomfortable sharing with someone, especially someone you respect, what you do in that moment? Or would you maybe like sophisticate it up a little bit to fit Northern Virginia? Like, uh, bag groceries, but I'm... I'm a food consolidation specialist, that's what I do. Or, or uh, man, mow grass, like I'm, a, I'm an agricultural engineer is, is, is what I do. Because we, maybe we would say something like that because we find a lot of significance, a lot of self-worth in what we do. Maybe Peter did. I mean, he boasts a little bit about how hard he worked all night before. Maybe that was something that he found his identity in before he met Jesus. Maybe for you, it's not your work. Listen, maybe it's your parenting, how your kids behave. Maybe it's your appearance. You cannot leave the house disheveled. You want, to, you want to look good. You want people to think well of you in terms of that. Maybe it's military service. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's just your church attendance. I don't know. I don't know where you find your identity. The point is all of us are looking for something that can, we can point to about us that says, hey, I'm significant. I matter. I'm something. Here's Peter in this moment. Not I'm a fisherman. Not I'm a Jew. Uh, not I'm of the chosen people. I'm a sinful man. What, do you want, what can I say about myself in the presence of Jesus? What, what can I grab a hold of uh, to, to give myself a sense of worth and dignity? Nothing. I'm a sinful man. So that's, that's the first thing we see Peter just letting go of his, his sense of identity. I think the second thing we see here is Peter letting go wholesale of his pride. Of his pride. 
What a humiliating moment for him. He just kind of talked back to Jesus. Jesus, we've been doing this all night, but just do it. And all of a sudden, all the fish are there. So he's humiliated in front of all of his friends. And you see him even physically taking on the, the, the uh, posture of humility. When he sees the divinity of Jesus, he falls to his outward demonstration of going low. Man, for some of us, the, the most difficult thing for us to let go of is our pride. I mean, I saw a powerful quote the other day. It rocked my world. Nothing could be truer than this statement. There are three things that are hard for humans to say. Number one, I'm sorry. Number two, I need help. Number three, Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> it's, I don't know if I said it right. I don't know if that's how you properly pronounce it, but it's, but it's difficult. It's, it's hard for us to say. Maybe you saw the same quote. Now, maybe you're good with number three, but, but honestly and seriously, number one and two, man, those are hard for us to say. I was wrong, I'm sorry. Man, I'm, I need help here, I can't do it on my own. We, we can't do those things, but what do we see Peter doing, man? Just ridding himself of his pride. He goes low. He goes low in this moment before the presence of Jesus. And what I would love for, for some of you to realize this morning is maybe like we talk about sin at church and at New City and Jesus came to save us for our sin. And so what, what the picture of you have in your mind of sin is just the really like crooked, wicked people in the world, the drug addicts, the, the immoral, the violent, like these are the pictures you have in your mind of sin. But can I tell you that that's not actually at the core of what sin is all about in the Bible? The core of sin is not wicked behavior. The core of sin is looking to the God of the universe and saying, I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm good on my own. I'll hold my life together and live as I please. That might be where some of you are at this morning. Like you look decent societally. What you say to God, however, is I'm perfectly fine on my own. I don't need you. Peter's getting rid of that when he met Jesus. He gets rid of his pride. And then the third thing that we see Peter getting rid of in this moment is his sense of self-righteousness, okay? His identity, his pride, and his self righteousness. He makes before Jesus a moral assessment of himself. He says before Jesus, I am a sinful, sinful man. Now, to put it in modern language, this would like Peter saying, answering the following question. If you were to go to anybody on the streets in the area that we live, and we just ask this simple question, hey, like, I know this is an odd question, but just tell me what you think. Would you consider yourself a good person? 99% of people are saying, I mean, well, of course, nobody's perfect, but like, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I, you, know, I, you know, I try to show kindness. I try, I try to be good. The other 1% might say, man, I'm a great person. I'm fantastic. I'm awesome. But most of us would say, like, no, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. And, and the point being, all of us in our self-assessment when we evaluate our own lives, we always come out on top. We're always mostly good. We're always a, a decent person. Uh, and the problem of that is we have no comparison. We're just comparing our, our, ourselves to ourselves or maybe to, to other people. But uh, the great theologian John Calvin uh, said the, the following, in an era of obsession about understanding ourselves and our true identity, what he says is there can be no true understanding of ourselves without first having knowledge of God. 
We can never truly understand who we are, what we're made of, what our moral assessment is without first understanding what God is like. Let me read this quote. It's just a little long, but I think this is very helpful. This is out of his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says the following. We always seem to convince, we always seem to ourselves just and upright, wise and holy until we are convinced by clear evidence of our injustice, vileness, folly, and impurity. So long as we do not look beyond the earth, we are quite pleased with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue. We address ourselves in the most flattering terms and seem only less than demigods. But should we once begin to raise our thoughts to God, and reflect on what kind of being he is and to see the perfection of his righteousness, wisdom, and virtue, the actual standard that we must be conformed to. What formerly delighted us about ourselves is shown to be a false show of righteousness that will become polluted with the greatest iniquity. If that sounds complicated to you, this is what John Calvin is saying in that moment, the God of the universe, the true standard of righteousness, if we were to actually have that experience, we would have the same daggum response that Peter has in that moment. I thought I was fine. Now I've seen the Lord. I am a sinful man. A sinful man. So here's Peter, one of the first disciples. We're asking the question. We want to get in on it. Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be a part of this mission. We're asking the question, what, I, what do I bring to the table? And Peter makes this confession that kind of shows what he brought to the table. He says, I'm a sinful man. And in that just small declaration, man, is a ridding of his identity, a, a ridding of his pride, and a ridding of his own sense of self-righteousness. Now, if we were to evaluate Peter's statement last week, confessing Jesus as the Messiah, as God's son, he gets it 100% right, 100% right. If we were to evaluate Peter's statement this week, we'd give him a 50% grade. He got half of his statement right. The half that he got right is the part right we just got done talking about, right? Like, notice he says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is not coming to me. Peter, get, get up. Don't be so hard on yourself. You are not that bad. It's okay. Uh, you know, have some self-esteem. It's fine. No, Peter says, or Jesus has no problem with that part of the statement. Uh, there is no truer statement that we can make of ourselves that, that we are sinful, fallen people. What was the wrong part? What was the wrong part of Peter's statement in that moment. Not, I'm a sinful man, friends. The wrong part was, depart from me. Peter rightly understood himself, but he misunderstood the nature of Jesus because if he rightly understood, near to me, help me, do. Because that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Friends, as Jesus begins this process of calling disciples to himself, he is not here as a recruiter looking for the best and the brightest. As Jesus calls people to himself, he is a savior looking for the least and the lost. That's the kind of savior we serve. 
Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Consider the mission statement that Paul the Apostle describes of the Lord Jesus for the reason uh, why he came into the world. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Thank you. That thank you is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance as well. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come? To recruit a a great team that he could roll with? No, man, he came in the world to show mercy, to show mercy to sinful men and women like Peter. See, Peter perhaps thought that his sinfulness in that moment was a repellent to Jesus. What he needed to realize is that that confession of his sinfulness is not a repellent to Jesus, but actually an attractant. That's the kind of confession that Jesus is looking for. When people would humble themselves, be honest about their true nature and call out to him for mercy. How do you view God this morning? How do you personally view God this morning? Do you view him just standing there, looking at your failures as a human being, ready to just pounce with judgment, with a set of instructions? And can I tell you what God is like this morning? Because we see what God is like in the person of Jesus. I mean, I, th- I think of this image, it's like a sprinter at the starting line of him and our need for salvation and, our, and our, our need to be saved from our sinfulness. And as soon as he hears that, man, he rushes towards us with mercy. That's why he came into the world in the first place. What do you view the character of Jesus like? How do you view him in the midst of your sin, your fallenness like Peter? We see here is that he is not here to recruit the best and the brightest. He is here to save the lost and the lowliest. So Peter shows us what's needed for discipleship. He thought that his sinfulness and the confession of it was the thing that disqualified him for discipleship. Man, your confession of your sinfulness is the very thing that enables you to begin being a disciple of Jesus. So what Back to our big question, okay? What do we need? What are we getting ourselves into? What do we need to bring to the table? Man, next week we're gonna consider how, man, we bring everything. But what we first have to realize this morning is that what we bring to be a disciple of Jesus is absolutely nothing. What we bring is our need. And when I say we bring nothing to, to Jesus. I don't just mean like when I invite you over for dinner and you're like, hey, can we bring anything? And I say, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Like what we're talking about is that if you show up at the door, you will be sent away with, with something. You'll be sent away. You have to come empty handed. What do we sing in the, in the famous song? Uh, nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. None of my righteousness, none of my good works, nothing good about me. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. That's how we bring, that's how we begin this process of following Jesus, being empty, having nothing, and watching him rush towards us with mercy, with forgiveness. Close by, by reflecting on this humble, honest declaration that's so hard for us to do. When we have that kind of declaration in the presence of Jesus, 
I'm sinful, I'm lost, I need you. We may think to ourselves that we are, man, we're ruined. We're giving up on ourselves, uh, 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 you know, in terms of that. But, but what did Peter get in return for having this kind of confession, this kind of honesty? What was he met with? I've got three things and then we'll come to the table, okay? When Peter came with this kind of honesty to Jesus and he was met with mercy, this is what he got in return. He got rid of his self-made identity. What he got in its place is a brand new identity that he can't earn and that can never be taken away from him. You know what happens when Peter and when you and I confess that we are sinful and we put our faith in Jesus? Our identity transforms. Peter became no longer a sinful man. He became a saint. And you may, may hear that and think, oh yeah, Saint Peter, the apostle, like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, he kind of rises to this high position. No, 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 no. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is no longer, is no longer regarded as a sinner. They get a new identity of a saint, a holy one, an acceptable one, a, a perfected one. If you don't believe me, hear Paul's words to the Corinthian church at the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, which by the way, if there were ever a sinful group of people, they put that on full display. Here's how Paul addresses to them. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, that means set apart, made holy in Christ Jesus, to those called to be saints. Saints. Paul the apostle looks not just at you know, the, the other apostles and calls them saints. No, no, no. The, the church with people that had all kinds of problems in their life and he calls them saints on your performance. It's predicated on the performance of Jesus. So you may fall short, you may fail, you are no longer a sinner. You are considered a saint in the eyes of God. Do you realize that this morning? Like, do you realize that God does not regard you with the same confession that Peter gave? When you put your faith in Jesus, you, you should be very cautious actually to use the language, I'm such a sinner. That's not what God speaks over you. He calls you a saint and I just can't help but wonder what kind of transformation you and I would experience in our life if we begin to actually get up to date on our current identity. Yes, we begin as sinful fallen people. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become saints in his sight. How might your life, how might your behavior be transformed if you would stop thinking about yourself? Man, I'm such a sinner. I'm so driven to lust. I'm so driven to a idolatry. I'm, I'm so anxious. And you began to actually say, man, through Christ and my faith in him, I am considered a saint. There were one of the most significant figures in church history, a guy named Augustine. He lived in the 300s. He, he wrote and thought uh, and provided for us uh, vitally important uh, writings and theology that we have for church history. But before Augustine encountered Jesus, he was known personally and publicly as a, as a very promiscuous man. He was known for sleeping around. He was known for hiring prostitutes. That's just what he was known for. And he tried through so much of his life to stop doing that and to you know, uh, try to live a more uh, moral uh, life. But he just, no matter how hard he tried, he kept going back into this lifestyle. He met the grace of Jesus and he understands how that transformed his identity. One day he was walking in the area that, that he used to walk in and one of the women that uh, he, he uh, used to hook up with uh, began to call out to him. Augustine, 
Augustine. And he just didn't regard it at all. Didn't, didn't say anything. She kept saying all the louder, Augustine, Augustine. He didn't respond at all. She emphatically declares, Augustine, oh, it is you. But it, the record goes that he looked back to her and said, I know it is you, but it is no longer I. What is Augustine doing in that moment? Getting an accountability partner, trying really hard? No. Saying that's not who I am any longer. I have been crucified with Christ. The no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, what kind of transformation would you experience in your life if you properly understood, man, that is not Peter's confession. That is not who I am anymore. Jesus has changed me. If you begin to actually believe that and live out of that. Number one, when Peter did this, he, he got a new identity. Number two, briefly, when Peter humbled himself, you know what happened? He was exalted. He was exalted. It is so hard for us to humble ourselves and go the low road, acknowledge that we need help, acknowledge that uh, we have failed and that there's problems in our life. And if we were to uh, actually tell the truth and publicly admit that, how ruined would we be? When Peter humbled himself and fell on his knees before Jesus, what was the response? Yes. Oh my gosh, Peter, you're such an embarrassment. Like, get, yes. Okay. I see you for who you really are now. I thought you were something else. I see you for who you really are. Forget it. I'm done with you. No, Peter humbles himself and then he's exalted into uh, the closest disciple of Jesus. The one upon, uh, that Peter, that Jesus said to, you know, upon this confession of yours, I will build my church. He humbled himself and he was exalted. He went low before God and he was lifted high. It led him to say later, 1 Peter 5 verse 3, speaking to the church, clothe yourselves, all of you, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Can I just ask you practically in your life this morning? There's some spaces you just need to go low and humble yourself. Get rid of self-image. Get rid of what people will think about you. Are there people you just straight up need to apologize to? A spouse, a child, someone from your past. Is there a, a, an apology? You just need to humble yourself. Do you need to humble yourself before God this morning? Simply saying, man, God, I've been neglecting you. I've been doing it all on my own. I get rid of that. I humble myself. I go low like Peter did before your mighty hand. There are places in your life you just need to go low so that God can be the one to then lift you up and exalt you. Peter, when he gave up on his identity and his pride, he, he was given a new identity and he was exalted by the mighty hand of God. And then finally, when you're willing to acknowledge your own unrighteousness, what you get is a perfect record of righteousness it's given to you not by performance, but by faith. In closing, just hear these words from Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for anyone, for anyone who believes. If you're to compare yourself to God this morning and realize, man, I'm not all that great. Like Peter, compared to the God of the universe, I am a sinner. And when you look away then from your sin into Jesus on the cross, Jesus' perfect life, he lived a perfect sinless life, and then him dying for you on the cross in the universe is perfectly righteous, not by your own doing, but by the doing of Jesus on your behalf. And as we get ready to celebrate communion, we, we come to the table freely. Nothing in our hands do we bring. And we receive those elements as a tangible demonstration. Man, I have been transformed from being like Peter was. I was a sinful man. I was a sinful woman. But freely, God saved my soul through the death and resurrection of his son. So this morning, if if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've stopped trying to be a good person by performing on your own, Would you come forward to the table, leave behind in your seat your own sense of building your identity, leave your pride behind, leave your self-righteousness behind, come empty-handed and watch the Savior fill you with his righteous life and death and resurrection on your behalf. If you're here this morning and just quite honestly, you have not experienced that moment that Peter experienced of just prostrating yourselves, humbling yourself before the Lord, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough on my own. I am lost without you. If, you, if you've not made that declaration, please don't come to the communion table. I'm, I'm asking you this morning to remain in your seat. But the free gift of salvation is offered to you right here and right now. Humble yourself. Acknowledge that you too, like Peter, are a sinner And believe, believe. Say, God, okay, I don't know that I fully understand it, but I I can see and I believe that you gave your life for me. It's the offer that's given to you this morning. So why don't we pray just by way of reminder, we're taking communion now by maybe reflecting in your seat for a moment if you need to do that. And whenever you're ready, you can come forward to the table and our communion elements will be given to you. What Jesus has done to transform you from where Peter was and where we all once were What he has done will be spoken over you. And you can respond by freely worshiping in light of this great gift. Amen. Bow our knees and we humble ourselves before you right now. And we just freshly reminded, nothing in our hands do we bring. God, I pray that you would, in this moment, maybe re-reveal in a very tangible and present way to some of your saints in this room all that you've done in their lives, how drastically you've transformed them pray that as they take those elements, they could be reminded, man, it is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is Christ who lives in me. And by taking those elements, we freshly put our faith in you once again, God. Man, for others in this room, I pray that you might reveal their need of you. Just like Peter fell to his knees and said, I'm a sinful man. But instead of what Peter said, would they say, Lord, come near to me? Save me. I can't do it on my own. Deliver me. Redeem me. Spirit of the living God, would you work these things in this room, in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.